Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Central Wired podcast, and thanks for listening in. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwired.com or on Facebook and Instagram. We hope this week's message meets you right where you're at. Enjoy. Hey, everybody, glad you're here. If you're here for the first time or <clears throat> first time in a long time, man, we are delighted to have you with us. And I want to apologize for not being able to be out there greeting you uh, personally. You'll be glad that I did. I've been fighting this wicked, nasty virus. And my doctor says I'm about halfway through. I didn't go to work all last week. I can't remember the last time I missed one day. So I got to ask you a favor. Um, The reason I'm here today is because the message I want to share is of such significant and extreme importance. Um, I just couldn't have one of my campus pastors come in and do their thing. Um, But I I know I can't bring my A game. Um, I don't have the energy that I normally do. And um, so I'm going to ask you, uh, we're going to pray in a second. I'm going to ask you to reach down and I'm going to ask you to pull up the best of your concentration, the best of your spiritual engagement. And the good news is you don't have to respond to me. I've been praying that God would open your heart so that you can respond to him. Would you pray with me right now? Father God, it's probably no coincidence that on the weekend when I've got the most important message of the year, I'm sick all week and probably going to be sick for a week to come. I thank you for medications. I believe that your joy is my strength. And I want you to get all the glory. Your word says I'm just an earthen vessel that you fill up with your treasure. And I just want you to spill your treasure. I want, Lord, I'm praying that we'll get the greatest response today that we've ever had. And so that no one can say, hey, Dave Clark did something. It's all God at Central Christian Church. You are a faithful king. You are glorious. You are present in power. Would you speak through me into the hearts of my friends and church family? In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Now, I know some of you, a bunch of you tell me that uh, the only hug you get all week um, is a hug here at church. And so next week when I see you, I'll be well next week. And you just say, hey, I want today and uh, the one you owe me from last week. I want two. And I'll give you two, they're free. Um, but not everybody's a hugger. You know, lots of people are just handshake people in that school. Because, I mean, this church, our arms, our hearts are wide open to every kind of people. Every color of people, every culture of people. And all people are different. How many of you are like me and you're huggers? Okay, yeah, and excited about it. How many are handshake people? Okay, woo-hoo for you. Um, Okay, different kinds of people. How many are dog people, like my Deb and I? Okay, how many are cat people? You're weird. Uh, just kidding, just kidding. We've had cats too. Um, how many of you are morning people like me? And morning people, okay. How many are night people? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I love this church. Uh, how many are beach people? Yeah, I want everybody to go to the stinking beach because I'm a mountain guy. Any other mountain people? Yeah, I want the mountains. Um, How many are coffee people? Yeah, I love you. How many, um, you guys are Christians. 
Um, how many are tea people? Sissies. Okay, you know what? There, there's all kinds of people. Morning people, evening people, cat people, dog people, mountain people, beach uh, people. Uh, there are uh, Patriots fans and normal people. Uh, all, all kinds of people. But one thing we all, every single one of us has in common is this. We are all selfish and we all deny our selfishness. Someone accuses us of being selfish. We want to we wanna offer up all sorts of evidence and proof. Hey, this is proof of my generosity. But the truth is to the bone. We were born, all of us, with tightly clenched fists. And you know what? Most people, most, the majority of people never get over it. They never begin to live open-handed lives. Even people that go to church can live tightly fisted lives. They are, I am, you are, we are selfish and we deny the truth of it. And one of the reasons is that we buy into the lies of Satan. Here's one more Myth, a more myth. And that is, the more I have, the happier I am. And so I can't let you have some of what I got. There won't be enough left for me. I can't even give to the Lord through his church because the more I have, the happier I am. And so we see the way other people dress. We, we see the kind of cars they drive, the kind of houses they live in. We scroll through our social media and see the highlight reels of their lives and we feel frustrated, discontent that our lives don't have enough. But here is the more truth. The more I have, the more I want. This is why you can stand in front of a closet full of clothes and say, I don't have anything to wear. Yeah, and you got work clothes and workout clothes and after work clothes and yard work clothes. You have all sorts of unnecessary stuff and you just think because it doesn't satisfy, I need more. But the truth is the more you have, the more you want. My... Um, Grandson is a perfect illustration of this. David, he's four and a half years old. He's got toys everywhere on both levels of my home, on both levels of his home. And if I ever pick him up from preschool, he's like, Papa, let's go to Bur uh, McDonald's and get a Happy Meal and a toy. He didn't care about the food. He wants the toy. Even though he's got a million toys, he wants another toy that ain't worth nothing. And then he wants to go to Walmart and buy another toy. Now, I figure his parents can teach him lessons on sharing. I take him to the store and buy him another toy. <laughs> I mean, how many of you had to teach your children how to say, mine? And we believe it is so ugly. I mean, we are embarrassed when we see our children, one of our kids, grab a toy out of another kid's hand, rip it out of their hand and say, mine. Now, I don't know how you handle stuff like that in my family. We, we get close to them and we say, sharing is caring. And they look at me like an extra 
in The Exorcist? <laughs> Maybe in your world, dude. Mine. But when the same ugly behavior is in us and we are selfish, we excuse it. We justify it. And the reason I just could not get someone else to take my place today, the reason I could not, though I've stayed home all week and probably will stay home till Wednesday, the reason I had to be here was because this is the most crucial element in your relationship with Jesus. Generosity is the ultimate game changer for growing. In, in fact, I will go so far as to say, and I've done all the research. This is not just me blowing smoke at you. All the data indicates that you cannot grow if you are not bringing offerings to the Lord out of every pay period. Your relationship with Jesus is stuck and it is dying unless you are being generous with the Lord through his church. And so with all my passion, and you know when you come and hear me talk, I'm a very passionate guy. I'm not that way to entertain you or to hold your attention. I'm passionate because our God is perfect in faithfulness. I'm passionate because Jesus took my place on that bloodstained cross and died for my sins, was made to be my sin, that I might be made the righteousness of God. He lived a perfect life for us, that his perfection might be our perfection. And when he rose from the dead, his triumphant, unstoppable victory is what I get to live in every single day. How can I not be generous with him? He gave everything. He was God. He removed from himself all his majesty and glory in heaven and became nothing, a human being, one of us, for us, in our place, that we might have life and that life super abundant and then forever. Here's the bottom line. If we stay stuck in our selfishness, and greed, we cannot grow in our relationship with Jesus. And the data says this, half the people that go to half of the average church don't give anything to the Lord. 20% of the people give 80% of the gifts. Another 30% give the other 20% of the gifts. And 50% of the people this is so critical because it's all about, it's not about the money. It's about your relationship with Jesus. This church doesn't need your money. Our God doesn't need your money. We all need to give because as we grow in our giving, we grow in our relationship with Jesus. You see this myth busting, game-changing truth. It comes right from Jesus himself. Jesus, the Lord Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you hear that, it is so counterintuitive. You hear Jesus say, it is more blessed to give? Lord, it's gonna cost me something to give anything to anybody, even if I give to you. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you're like, what was he smoking? The Greek word for blessed in the text when Jesus said that, it's a word that he uses in scripture in his teaching over and over and over and over and over again. 
It's the Greek word makarios, and it means the joy of God's favor. The joy of God's favor. Jesus says, you will have the joy of God's favor on your finances. You'll be going, oh my gosh, God, you've been so good to us financially. You had the joy of God's favor on your marriage. Oh my gosh, God, look what you've done in our marriage, how you've healed, how you've helped, how you've restored. Oh my gosh, God, look how good you've been to our family. Oh God, look what you've done in my parenting. I'm not that smart. I'm not that good, but look what you have done. The joy of God's favor. But although this is the only time out of all the times, and Jesus sometimes when he would teach, he would do it repetitively. He would go, makarios, makarios, blessed, 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 blessed. This is the only time that I remember when Jesus adds the adjective of more. The Greek word is milan, and it means sooner. When you are generous, when you give, you get blessings sooner. It means by far. It means to a greater degree. This is why giving is more sooner by far to a greater degree than receiving. Because when we receive, there's no blessing and taking. There's only, there's more Milan Macarius blessing and giving. And if you feel like you wish you'd stayed home today because you didn't know the pastor was gonna talk about generosity or you wish I'd just die instead of just be sick, I I get to go to heaven And the truth stays the truth. But if there is something going on inside you, if you feel the tension between what Jesus says about generosity and your own selfishness, your own unwillingness to give, you're not the first. His closest followers, the disciples, those guys had been following him for two years. They were with him every day. They saw him heal the sick. They saw him raise the dead. They heard his amazing, phenomenal teaching, and yet they were selfish. Here's the deal. This is why generosity is the single most important dynamic in your relationship with Jesus. Because you can read your Bible. I love the Bible. I read the Bible every day. I can't imagine a day without God's word. But if I read the Bible, but I don't practice what it says about generosity, what's the point? Maybe you say prayer's a big deal. I love to pray. I pray every day. But why would God be generous in answers to my prayers if I'm not generous with him? Everything flows from our generosity and all the blessings of God flow into our lives. In fact, I believe that answered prayer comes. I believe that God speaks through his word on the basis of our willingness to be generous with him. Well, it was a struggle for his guys. After two years, he's about to throw in the towels on these dudes. Here's what happens. This is the first lesson. And here's the wild thing. You would think that if Jesus was offended by their selfishness, he would just say, hey, dudes, you guys are turning me off with your greed after two years of being with me. But here's the first lesson. And it's Mark 8. And then you have to get the lesson again in Mark 9. And then you have to get the lesson again in Mark 10. Because selfishness is like quicksand. It just sucks us down. And it becomes so deeply ingrained in who we are, we won't even admit our selfishness. 
Then Jesus began to tell them that he must, now that word in the Greek must, I believe it's day, it means it was an absolute necessity. Then Jesus began to tell them that he, it was an absolute necessity for Jesus to suffer many terrible things. His face was gonna be beaten beyond recognition. They were gonna pull his beard out by the roots. His head was gonna be beaten again and again and again and again with a club. He was gonna be whipped. He was gonna suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests and the religious teachers. He would be killed. And three days later, Have you ever tried to stop a cough? I was home yesterday morning by myself. Deb and Miriam were off shopping. And I was drinking Diet Coke from a can and tried to stop a cough. It came out with explosive power. I mean, I shot pop everywhere up my nose, had glasses on, inside of my glasses covered with pop, outside of my glasses covered, my face covered with pop, washed off my glasses, dried the glasses, put the can in the trash, didn't wash my face. (laughs) My Debbie comes home, puts her cheek on my cheek, and we stick. (laughs) I kind of liked it. After Jesus is executed, three days later, he is risen from the dead. Now, these guys, they don't hear this like you're hearing it because these guys weren't just students. They were apprentices. And they were like, oh, Jesus, we're really sorry for what you're going to have to go through. No, as apprentices, if he went through it, they're going to have to go through it. And so they're like, no way, no way. In fact... Look what happens. Peter, as Jesus talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to severely scold him, reprimand him for saying such things. Peter gets his finger up in Jesus' face. I don't ever want to hear you say something like, man, you're like Debbie Downer, Jesus. Why are you such a drama queen? Don't you ever say something like that again. Now, what was going on inside Peter? It's the same thing that goes on in us, me and you, when we are not generous. Every pay period, we have the opportunity to be generous with the Lord. Other opportunities to be generous with others. What's going on in us when we refuse to be generous and give either to the Lord or others in need? What's going on? Well, Peter was afraid. You see, Peter, yeah, he's one of those guys that have been with Jesus every day for two years. And Jesus, he, I mean, Peter had been nobody with nothing from nowhere. And he had become the right-hand man of the most popular, most powerful person on the planet. I mean, this Jesus, he turned water into wine. He's walking on water. He's raising the dead. He's giving sight to the blind. He's making lame people walk. He's stopping raging storms of the word. And he's teaching these amazing lessons and he's practicing this phenomenal love. And Peter is riding his coattails to the top. In fact, 
Peter plans to be there when Jesus is crowned King of Israel. And he's afraid if Jesus is talking about A drink of that in the last service and ask if somebody had anything stronger. <laughs> and this guy gave me this. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> Peter's afraid that if Jesus is executed, all his personal dreams and desires and hopes will die with Jesus. But where does this fear come from? Where does it come from in me? Monday, before I got gross like this, I had to go to Walmart in the morning. I was going to get my hair cut. And I'd never been there to get a haircut before. And I kind of looked at the sign. Uh, you know, I think it's 10 bucks to get a haircut there. And this young woman jumps out of a chair and runs out and gives me the biggest hug. I think she made me sick. Um, <laughs> No, she gave me the big hug and greeted me, and, and uh, her son was getting a haircut. So I, I go to the bathroom in Walmart, which is like taking your life in your own hands, um, and I'm thinking, what do you tip somebody who cuts hair? You know, I, I'm a terrible tipper. Do I, you know, it's like a dollar, two dollars, five dollars, that's crazy, and so I'm really wrestling with that. Well, I get back in there, and they, this young woman cuts my hair, and the manager of the place comes over and says, hey, this is that, that young woman that was here earlier. She paid for your haircut. And all you're going to do is tip whatever that girl's name was. And so I gave the girl the $10 I would have spent on the haircut. Figured I saved on the tip. But I was just, it was just an opportunity to pay it forward. In, in, in the Walmart, don't go to Walmart bathroom. That's, the devil lives there. <laughs> Sarah, when, I, when I'm there, I'm fighting with myself over a dollar or two. Should I be generous? Don't act like a pastor. Maybe she doesn't know who you are. Maybe she doesn't know you're in a church. But then God is so good to me. How could I not be good to her? Where does that fear, where was that fear coming from? What was in Peter was in me and it gets in you and it's Satan lying to me, lying to you. That's what happened to Peter. Look what Jesus says. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He literally calls Peter. You're just, you got Satan in you, dude, and he's talking through you and he's thinking in your mind and he's making you afraid. Get the, get behind me, Satan, Jesus said to Peter. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely your own human concerns. You see, what happened to Peter is true of me and you. That Satan makes you and I, he makes it feel like our personal human concerns are so huge that we are afraid to pursue God's concerns, to, to bring an offering out of every pay period to the Lord. We're so all about us that there's no space for God. So what happens then, like Peter's like, did he just call me the devil? And the other guys are like, yeah, dude, you're the devil. <laughs> Jesus calls the crowd to him. Here's what happens. 
Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said, hey, if any of you wants to be my followers, now I, I would, I'm guessing, I know you guys, that the vast majority of the people in this room, if they were asked, they would say, hey, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. But check this out. If you wanna be a follower of Jesus, you must give, give up your own way, your own concerns, take up your cross and follow me. Follow me toward God's concerns. If you try to hang on to your life, your concerns, you will lose it. But if you give If you give up your life, your concerns for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, Christ crucified for our sins and risen from the dead, that's what God's concerned with, you will save it. What what has you afraid to be generous? Because Jesus said, let it go. Now, this is not about your money. This is about giving up your life because once you give up your life, it's a total package. That's Mark 8 and Mark 9. Jesus didn't get everybody on the same page with one lesson, had to do it twice, but still they are resisting his teaching. So in Mark 10, Mark 8, Mark 9, Mark 10, Mark 10, same thing happens. Jesus is with the guys walking on the road. He just says to them, hey, same thing he said before. I'm going to be betrayed, rejected, brutalized, executed, and on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. Lesson over. Simple as that. He keeps walking up the road. They kind of lag behind. He walks into town. They walk into town. He walks into a house. They walk into a house. They sit down. He said, oh, uh, by the way, what were you guys talking about on the road? And this uncomfortable silence settles over the room. And the guys are like, nothing. Me, I didn't say anything. Peter was talking like a crazy man, but I didn't say nothing. Look at the text. The disciples didn't answer Jesus because they had been arguing about which one of them was the greatest, who got the more likes, who had the most followers, who had the most money, who said the best prayers, who had the highest intellect, who had the nicest stuff? They argued about who was the greatest. Here's what Jesus says. Anyone wanting to be the greatest. Now, what I love about this, Jesus does not in any way negate the possibility of you being the greatest, you and me. You can have the greatest relationships, greatest marriage. You can do the greatest parenting. That's possible for you. You can have the greatest finances, the greatest success in business. You can have the greatest in every aspect of your life. I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you what the Bible says. In fact, Jesus said of you, man, when you came to me, when you surrendered to me, I planted the seeds of greatness in your life. Ephesians 2.10, you are the workmanship of God. You, you are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus to do great things that God has prepared in advance for you to do. You can be the greatest. But there are two ways of going about it. There's a wrong way and a right way. The right way is to humble yourself under God's power and let him lift you up to greatness in your marriage, in your finances, in your parents. The other way is to push your own agenda. Grab for all you can get. Try to be great in and of yourself. 
Here's what Jesus said. Anyone wanting to be the greatest, here's the deal. You must become the least servant of all. Servants got nothing. And if you follow me, you become a servant and I'll make you great. As you give up everything, I will give you everything. You see, true greatness is the faith to give your whole self away. And that's what Jesus has said time. Again, I'm going to a cross. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm giving everything up for you. Now, Peter was in the room, in the house, when Jesus said this stuff. And finally, he gets it. Not then, but later. And later, he writes this. Humble yourself under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in greatness. And that word greatness means great in every aspect of your life where you humble yourself before God. Greatness in your relationships when you humble yourself before God and greatness in your finances when you humble. Now, how do you humble yourself? Well, you read what the Bible says about marriage. You do it under God's power. He lifts up your marriage. You do what God's word says about parenting. You humble yourself before the Lord. He lifts up your parenting, your finances, your emotions. <laughs> Oh, yeah, baby. Okay. A third time. A third time Jesus is trying to drill this lesson into their souls. We see this in Mark. He tells them again, the Son of God will be betrayed. They will mock him. Remember when he's on the cross? They're like, hey, if you are the Son of God, come down. Remember when they blindfolded him and then beat him? Hey, who hit you? Bam, they beat his face beyond recognition. They bludgeoned his head again and again with a club. Hey, who hit you? You're so smart. Tell us who hit you. You're a prophet. You tell us who hit you. They will mock him. They will spit on him. They will flog him with a whip until he's nearly dead, and then they will kill him. After three days, he will rise. It gets them with this third lesson. Third time, Mark 8, Mark 9, Mark 10, gets done. And two of the guys, James and John, brothers, they come up to him and say, nice lesson, Lord, but we got a favor. Now, if I was Jesus, and I just taught the same lesson three times, and they're asking me for something with their me-first mentality, I would have tased them. Then James and John, brothers, sons of Zebedee, came over to speak to Jesus' teacher. Really nice lesson, dude. But we want you to do us a favor. What's your request, Jesus asked. And they said, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to ride shotgun. We want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right, one on your left. And we're not picky. This isn't going to our heads as long as we're on one side or the other. That kind of spiritual dysfunction, that kind of me-first mentality is toxic. It's toxic to a marriage. It's toxic in a church. It was toxic to the disciples because when the other 10 saw these guys asking for what they were wanting to ask for, here's what happens. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, oh my gosh, they were spitting nails. They were indignant. 
And so finally, Jesus just chilled, dudes. And he climaxes his teaching from 8, 9, and 10 in Mark with these words, the Son of God did not come to this planet to be served, but to serve and to give his life for others. If that's what I'm all about, I left my majesty, my glory, my splendor to come and be with you, to be one of you, to die for you. That's you. That's your life. And you get my resurrection power in you. Never once when Jesus talked about his coming suffering, did he leave out the fact that he would be raised, he would be ultimately triumphant, that nothing would stop him, the grave couldn't stop him, the devil couldn't stop him, hell wouldn't stop him because Jesus would be victorious and his unstoppable, triumphant, victorious power is me when I live humbly, generously under the power of God. Clap for a sick guy. Two more minutes. This is the same Jesus who said, it is more, Milan, blessed Makarios. It is, it is, you get blessed sooner um, when you give than when you just receive. You get blessed more. By far, you get blessed to a greater degree. And, and the, the lie that we believe and that we say and that we think is, the more myth is that, hey, you know, when I have more, then I'll be more generous. But, but that's a lie. It's a lie from Satan. The more truth is, once I'm generous, then I'll get more. And you're like, really? Give me a Bible verse on that one. Words of Jesus, Luke 6, 38, where he says, give, and it will be given to you. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down, check it together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap for the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now the people listening to Jesus knew that he was talking about a basket. Because at that day in that culture, when a landowner, it was harvest time, he would hire workers to go out into his harvest field. And they would take, bring their basket, they would take their basket, and they would go over to the harvest. And this is early in the day, sun is warm, but the air is cool, and they feel invigorated. They'll stuff their basket full, carry that full basket back to the threshing floor, dump it out. But as the hours go by and it reaches noon, the sun is high and it's getting hot and they're getting tired, maybe they just fill it up about three quarters of the way because they're getting tired and they go back over, throw that, that in. Now it's like late afternoon. They're whooped. And now they put more of the heart, only fill it up like halfway. Take it over, dump it out. And the landlord's, hey, that's good. You guys did a great job. Um, work, work is done. Oh, baby, I'm glad. He says, but you get one more trip in the field. And whatever you put in your basket, how much ever you put in your basket, you get to keep. That's your pay. And they're like, okay, baby. Now, do you, do you know how they filled their basket then? The same way I fill a popcorn bag at the movies. 
put it about half full, shake it up, press it down, more in there, shake it up, press it down, more, more till it's overflowing. And when I get back to my seat, it spills over into my lap. I don't care, I eat it anyway. That's how they filled up the last load. They got the harvest, pressed down, shake that baby together. We want more in there, more. Pressed down, shaking together. That's what they did till it was filled like to overflowing. And as they were going home, stuff was falling off. They knew how to fill a basket. They knew what Jesus was talking about. He says, when you give to God, he gives it back to you. Pressed down, shaking together, pressed down, shaking together, pressed down, shaking together, overflowing and falling into your lap. You see, the more truth is, this is what the Bible says, that when you honor God with the first percentage of your income, that's when he involves himself personally in your income, in your finances. That's he does miracles in your money when you offer him a first percentage. Now, Deb and I, for the last 38 years that we, we've been your pastors, we've given a minimum of 10% of our income to the Lord through this church. We believe that's what the Bible teaches us to do, and so that's what we've done. When you came in today, you received envelopes and little note cards. And I wrote Deb, you know, my name and her name on the outside of my envelope. I wrote 10 plus percent. That's my commitment to the Lord. You just write your name on the outside, the percentage on the card, stick it in the envelope, seal it. And as others have throughout this weekend, bring it to the front and put it in the basket because give and it will be given to you. You'll receive your gift back in full, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and pouring into your lap. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.